0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am Rob, and back with us, as always, is Ed. Ed, how you doing today?
1: Oh, thank goodness. I'm doing great. How are you, Rob Park? I, I am
0: doing well. We have that beautiful spring weather here in the Houston area. The humidity low for right now, so we're trying to take advantage of being outside as much as we can.
1: I agree. Are we going to jump right into this one?
0: Sure, why not? The topic for today's uh, podcast are your HR practices inviting litigation. That's a pretty serious question, there,
1: Ed. Yeah, we live in a litigious society. It means like I don't like the way you're looking at me right now. I think I'm going to sue you.
0: <laughs> it's a sue happy society. You're exactly right. So, Ed, I have I have a, a, a my first question for you is that you know I understand that you used to own a moving company. And you once had a close encounter, let's call it, of the worst kind with the (laughs) EEOC. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes. First of all, EEOC, what do they do? I looked up before we got on this podcast today in Wikipedia, and it says the EEOC investigates, investigates, be nice if I could read, investigates discrimination complaints based upon an individual's race, Children, national origin, religion, sex, age, disability, sexual orientation, gender identity, or genetic information. What they also don't say is the government represents the employee for free and the poor employer has to hire a law firm or an attorney to represent their side of the case for the defense, you know. So look, I thank God I had my moving company for 24 years and only one time did we have a very bad encounter with the EEOC, you know? I thought we wrote the book on diversity when I had my moving company because all of our supervisors and like 99% of our employees were African American. And you know, what, What more liberal could that be than that was, I mean, our foremen, our drivers, our supervisors, and our movers were all all African-American. And I was shocked when one day we were sued by a female African-American employee who was a mover helper. And she alleged that we discriminated against her because of her gender. She alleged that we skipped over her and promoted male movers to become drivers and foremen and supervisors and skipped over her only because she was a woman. (laughs) I was like, I was blindsided. I couldn't believe it. So thank goodness we had a really good labor attorney and we did have written procedures and written job descriptions and the job description rod this is very interesting okay you could not be eligible to be a supervisor unless you could do all the jobs you had to be able to drive a moving van a big truck you had to be able to load a moving van you had to be able to run the crew supervise the crew and communicate effectively with a customer so our defense for this major lawsuit which it was major was that not only not only did she not have a truck driver's license, but she didn't even have a driver's license? She had never been behind the wheel of any kind of a vehicle, let alone a truck. So she didn't have a license, she never drove. But would you believe the EEOC countered our claim by asking us, did we give her an opportunity to learn how to drive a vehicle? get a driver excuse me to get a driver's license and of course ultimately to get a truck driver's license then the second qualification as i said to be a supervisor at our company you had to be able to load a truck now you know if you're vertically challenged rob a large executive desk with an overhanging top on a high-rise dolly it's pretty high up in the truck If you were vertically challenged, as she was, I think she was like five feet, one inch tall or five feet tall, not very tall. How in the world is she going to be able to throw a furniture pad over a large executive desk up on its end on the floor of the truck? Just not going to happen. So the EEOC demanded that we prove that assertion to them. And I don't remember how we did that. And then her communication skills were poor. This is not somebody you would want talking to a customer. I mean, she just just didn't have a command of the English language. So what they did in that case, they interviewed her, and then they interviewed randomly several of our supervisors. And the EEOC said that compared to the communication skills of the other supervisors, they didn't see the difference. That was their case. So that's, that's how, that's what happened to us, Rob. Well, did,
0: did you win the case, Ed?
1: Well, <laughs> we, we thought we did. We spent Rob, this is back in my goodness gracious. This was back in 1987. <clears throat> so cost of living, Legal expenses were a lot lower then than they are today. Back in 1987, when we hired this law firm to represent us, it cost us more than $12,000 to defend our case against the EEOC, which we all, you know, we won. And um, I thought, well, thank goodness, put it aside. And I don't know how to prevent that from happening in the future at the time, but uh, you know, Five weeks later, we spent $12,000 and we, we won the case and we are vindicated.
0: Well, that's awesome, Ed. I mean, uh, that's the outcome you, you'd like to have. Absolutely. Um, sounds like the case went your way. Did it go your way exactly or what, what happened there?
1: Well, I thought we won. <laughs> Next thing we knew, we got a notification from the EEOC and I don't know if this is the policy today, but this is back in 1987. If the local office finds in favor of the defendant employer, the case automatically is forwarded to their Washington, D.C. main office where it's put up for another review. They had the final say. So now my attorneys are involved in this final, you know, appeal process on behalf of the employee, And three weeks after that, we finally, we ultimately got the case dismissed. So, I mean, this is, I I can't explain how terrifying this is to think you're going to lose everything because of of a case like this. But anyhow.
0: Okay, Ed. So do you have uh, advice for our listeners to minimize the risk of, you know, getting into these types of lawsuits?
1: Yes. Now, let me tell you something. I have no personal agenda here. I don't defy, or even like most attorneys. <laughs> I, I love my attorneys, but I don't, you know, especially if I'm on the other side of the, <laughs> the courtroom. I'm I'm not here to be a champion for attorneys, but I will tell you this. Because of my traumatic experience from that day forward, we had annually an HR labor attorney on retainer. So we paid a flat rate every year to this uh, attorney, whether we used the services or not. And that gave us the ability, if we had a, a you know, a, a problem with an employee, an HR problem with an employee, we had to fire them or reprimand them or whatever we were doing. Guess who we called first? We would call our labor law attorney who was on retainer to get advice before we took any type of corrective action or remedial action. And I can tell you, it really paid back that investment. And I don't know what it was for you. It wasn't that expensive. That investment paid back in many, many dividends because we did it the right way. It made the dividend. It may, you know, made the headaches go away and it it prevented this. I believe in my heart from ever being sued again over an HR issue.
0: Well, I want, I want to ask this and maybe, you know, the answer, maybe you don't. Um, There's, like you said, so many types of attorneys out there. Are you looking for an attorney that specializes in, you know, HR practices? Are you looking for an attorney that just has just kind of a a business, you know, an attorney that works with businesses? What kind of, is there a particular attorney you're looking for? That's what I'm asking you.
1: Well, I want you to know before I answer, I'm prejudiced, I'm biased, and I think I'm right. I learned a long time ago that one-stop shopping is a very expensive way of retaining legal service. If if you have a big law firm represent you and they have specialists, you know, labor attorneys, business attorneys, state attorneys, HR attorneys, I don't know, all the different specialties, real estate attorneys all under the same roof. What I found out was when I didn't know any better and we were with a big firm initially, we were in effect being, charged a lot more than if we had specialists individually. In other words, my attorney would be the contact person. So he's talking to me about what our problem is. And then he assigns it to one of his specialty attorneys. And you're ready for this? After the specialty attorney does what he does, then my contact attorney reviews his work on the clock. Can you believe the chutzma? The nerve <laughs> and then we get built and i used to quite like i'm not general motors here why am i spending this much money each year on legal fees so finally i woke up one day and i said no i don't want a small proprietary one-man show this you know business attorney whatever because they, they just can't be they, they, you know they might do a divorce one day they might do child support another they might be doing at least the next thing I want somebody who lives and breathes in the specialty where I need help. So to this day, I'm a small time operator. I've got a real estate law firm. I have a business attorney. I have an estate attorney. I have another attorney. I can't even escape me right now, but my point is this, oh, patent patents and copyrights. I have a another I know I have another law firm that handles just copyrights and patents. So I have people that specialize in doing the same thing every day. They don't have to reinvent the wheel. They don't have to call another law firm or attorney or do research on my clock, on my dime, to find out how do we handle this particular type of situation. That's my, my prejudice advice. And, of course, I'm sure I'll, I'm glad attorneys don't listen to our podcast because the ones that do it all are probably not too happy with me. I'll be on their <laughs> worst favorite list, Right. <laughs> some
0: may. You never know. We get some ugly responses. Then, then we'll know. Oh, uh, no. All right, Ed. I'm going to jump into a a subject that uh, I, I'm not even sure what the definition of this is anymore. It seems to <laughs> me that it's just so broad that uh, I mean, just uh, you look nice might might get you into one of these sexual harassment. Oh boy. Today's world, this has to be something that is scary, scary, scary to uh, business owners.
1: You know, it's interesting. Thank God we never had any sexual harassment lawsuit at our company in the 24 years, you know, that I ran it. But, you know, what did, I, what did I do for a living? I got to see what everybody else did for a living. We were office movers. And I can tell you unequivocally, I had clients who shared their war stories with me from all different sizes of companies where they were being sued for sexual harassment. And, you know, all I can say is based on, from the outside looking in, from the cases I'm familiar with, with my own clients, you know, litigation disasters they had with their own employees. Um, I think that an employer or a supervisor or a boss who hits on a female employee or guess what I'm going to my examples I guess are going to be primarily guys hitting on women but you know in the real corporate world it could be reverse it could be a you know a woman who's a supervisor an owner general manager uh, sexually harassing a guy I mean let's be honest with ourselves I'm sure it's more often the former not the latter but You know, with the Me Too movement today and social media, an employer or supervisor or general manager or boss has got to be crazy, just crazy to flirt, date, or sexually harass a co-worker or a, you know, subordinate. I mean, it's just, you know, think about this. Let's say that we have a general manager of a company, of a moving company, and he has uh, he starts dating one of his employees. I mean, this happens. We know that happens. So I my question is this. So you become serious in a relationship. And you wake up one day. And you're that general manager. And you break up. Either she breaks up with you or you break up with her. And you're still working with each other. And... You know, you're still going to see each other each day. Every time you see each other, maybe one or both of you have the the the, the awkwardness of the pain of the sorrow and the loss, you know. You remember the movie Fatal Attraction? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what do we have, you know, maybe the general managers, the Fatal Attraction, or the, the, the employees? I have no idea, but think about that. You know, what, what if you break up? With her in this example, this hypothetical example, and next thing you know, you get sued by the subordinate for sexual harassment. You know, you're and your case is, hey, it was consensual. Hey, we loved each other. Hey, she was a co-equal party, you know, to our relationship. You know, let me ask you, how are you, how are you going to prove that it was consensual? What if she says says under oath? I was in fear of losing my job if I didn't consent to his aggressive behavior. I mean, how are you going to, what, what leg do you have to stand on? Yeah,
0: that's a tough situation right there.
1: And how about this one? And I've seen this with some of my moving company clients. I'm telling you, I've seen it where, you know, the boss is dating one of his employees and all of a sudden She becomes a sacred cow. You know what a sacred cow is in India. Cows are sacred. They can run run throughout the marketplace, kill people, destroy fruit stands, vegetable stands, but they're sacred. You can't stop them. Well, the sacred cow in this example means that she gets preferential treatment because she's dating the boss. You think that's good for morale? You think that that could lead to a discrimination lawsuit that, hey, we're all equal, but one of us in this encounter this company is more equal than all the others because She is dating the boss. I mean, you know, as I said, when we got into this topic, more often than not, you know, men, it's men harassing, sexually harassing women, but it can be reverse, It can be the other way around. Well,
0: we, we've talked about the boss and we know that's a huge issue. And I think right. most companies probably, if they don't, you know, they should have something in place that doesn't, you know, uh, allow, I don't know if that's too strong a word, but allow for a, a superior to, to date a subordinate. But what about peers, just in general, in a workplace? Is is this, by by not having something in place that says we don't want any inter-company, you know, dating, uh, does that have something in writing? Does that kind of help protect you? Or is the company doesn't matter if, if there's some Something going on, and the female or the male claim that they've been sexually harassed at the office. Is there still some liability
1: to the company there? I'm not an attorney. I can only speak. What? 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I don't, unless I can charge you, Rob.
0: <laughs> Never mind. You're not an attorney.
1: Okay. Thank you. So here's my take on that. I don't think legally you can forbid your employees from dating each other. I, I don't think that. Can, I didn't that think can. so either. I don't think so. However, let's say that, and I did have this happen. That a white-collar female employee told me that she was uncomfortable, uncomfortable with some of the jokes, some of the counter, you know, co-inuendos and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, some of the language that was going on in the office and all that. So let's say that. Let's just say that one of my employees, he didn't, but one of my employees put his hand you know, affectionately on a female employee. You would not necessarily be liable for the first offense. This is, again, I'm not an attorney, but I'm just saying based on my experience. Now, if you do nothing about it and don't recognize it and memorialize something in writing that, you know, hey, so-and-so alleged that so-and-so put his hand on her shoulder or in an affectionate way, touched her in the neck, whatever. And you have to take corrective action. You have to, I would do this with a witness, maybe, you know, memorialize what she said in writing and have a witness and say that we're going to deal with this and then call that, you know, perpetrator, whatever you want to call him, the alleged, you know, person that did this into your office with a witness and say, these, we have, we have a sexual harassment policy that you cannot, put your hands on or talk in a certain way or act a certain way with your fellow employees. And if you do this again, uh, you will be put on probation and or subject to being terminated. I mean, you have to really rein them in. And, you know, sometimes think about this, Rob, sometimes people will make a joke about you or about me in a group and we are the, victim of the, the brunt of the joke. And we laugh with everybody else. And people who don't know anybody think, oh boy, that Ed Katz, that Rob Clark, they just, they rule with the punches. They have thick skin water rolls right off their back. but doesn't bother them, but it hurts us. Well, it's the same thing just because a woman in a group with a bunch of guys in the industry is dominated by men. We know that. Just because she maybe smiles or laughs or you know, laughs it off doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt her feelings. And if it's offensive to her, bothers her, upsets her, annoys her, she has every right, really, to go to her supervisor, her boss, and say, you know, I can't tolerate this. This is a not this is an unhealthy dysfunctional work environment for me. And remedial action has to be taken and this has to be taken seriously sure uh, because it can re, it can actually lead to litigation
0: absolutely okay you you've uh you brought up a lot of good things that that you know people who are either managers general managers owners of companies need to make sure they they think about and have things in place to to help minimize these risks um just a curious question for me we always hear when, when we talk about maybe sexual harassment, we hear about things in Hollywood or entertainment where we hear about famous people who have these situations arise. Um, in the business world, Ed, do, do you by chance know of any actual cases that in, in fa- uh, uh, involve some famous business
1: people? In all transparency, in all transparency to our listeners, I gave this question to Rob to ask me because I didn't know this off the top of my head. What? But I can I, I can give you the answer and go on for hours. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure we most of us have heard of a company called Restoration Hardware. Sure. Very, very
0: popular here inspired, in Houston. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Very, very successful company. Well, the 50-year-old CEO of that company, company, a guy named Gary Friedman uh, suddenly uh, left the company because it turned out he had an intimate relationship. He was 54 years old at the time. He had an, whatever that means, intimate relationship. I guess he wrote her letters or something with a 26-year-old female employee. In other words, he was driven out of his, his company because of sexual harassment. Now, we've all heard of Hewlett Packard, right? Of course. The former CEO of Hewlett Packard, Mark Herb, was fired for having an inappropriate, re- inappropriate relationship. I have no idea what that was. I guess he was too friendly with the way he said hello to her. Anyhow, it was an HP contractor, not even a not even an employee of HP, but a subcontractor who was also an adult movie actress, I guess so. She was in the PG movies and he had a relationship with her. And because of that, and she went public about it, he lost his job. And last but not least, we have all heard of and probably have been customers of Best Buy. (laughs) Well, Brian Dunn, who at the time was only making $10 million a year running Best Buy while he was married. (laughs) Why am I laughing? Men are such pigs, aren't they? But anyhow, while he was married, he was forced out of Best Buy for cheating on his wife with a female co-worker. (laughs) Rob, when I did my research on Google, I could go on for hours about companies we've all heard of where this goes on you would think these guys would wake up one day and stop being stupid I mean I mean surely there are other fish in the sea that why would you do it in your own backyard I mean it's just crazy
0: not gonna happen Ed uh, that's where you know the it's easier to catch a fish in your own backyard right so I mean yeah, I guess it was convenient convenient that's
1: they're lazy. Not just. Not only are they pigs, but they're lazy pigs. Yeah, right. Yeah. In
0: a year, you can Google search again, and you'll find the most current uh, situations <laughs> like this. But uh, uh, okay, with all this at stake, Ed, you know this is this is huge for companies. I mean, dealing with just one of these could potentially, you know, put your company at risk. Um, do you have any what we will call father fatherly advice? Yeah. Uh, Yes. Okay. Yes. Fire
1: away. If in doubt, don't allow, and don't you have an inappropriate relationship with an employee? I, you know, you might you might end up losing your company, losing your family, divorcing your spouse. I mean, don't be stupid. That's how can I be any more blunt? Anyhow, that's I think that's me, yeah.
0: Keep it simple, stupid. Don't be stupid. I think that's a great way to yeah. say it.
1: There you go. There yeah. you go. Well, this, we made light of this topic, but it's a very, it's, it's more widespread. Even, even this in this day and age, it's more widespread than, than we know. And, uh, you know.
0: Well, the, the biggest takeaway, I mean, all of these things are, are very important that you, you kind of understand it and understand the risk if something like this happened, what potentially could happen to your company um, mm-hmm. and to yourself. But I think the biggest takeaway from here for, you know, owners and general managers and, and more more specifically owners and, and, and things like that uh, is that you have the proper legal representation um, so that if these things arise, you're not scrambling, you're not caught off guard, you're not making decisions that are bad. You have somebody already on staff in place with a retainer, whatever the case might be, to make sure that when those things come up, if – you know, we hope they never do, but if they did that you're properly represented to handle those situations.
1: I agree. And one last point, take your employees complaints seriously. If a female or a male employee is offended by what some other coworker has said or done, don't just sweep it under the carpet and do nothing because that's, that will now invite litigation. You That's a layer. That's one. Yeah, you might might be contingently liable just for inaction, for not taking
0: it. It's a great point, Ed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I liked that episode. That was a great episode. I think very, uh, you know, hopefully people are like, yeah, no kidding. We know about that. But for those who aren't in that uh, sandbox, uh, have some more information and something to think about and hopefully take the right steps to protect themselves and the company.
1: I agree. Well, listeners, thank you for putting up with me today. Rob, you're always entertaining and probably effervescent and articulate. I sound thank like a,
0: a cocktail or a wine or something, the way you describe that. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. And until our next episode, go sell another move.